0: So being a Unitarian Universalist minister, when I'm out and about in the community, I'm often asked about the UU position on certain religious questions, such as our belief in heaven or hell, what or who God is, the nature and reason for faith itself, and so on. Now these questions, as you know, are much more difficult to answer than they might sound, simply because there isn't one Unitarian Universalist position on anything. We believe in a number of different understandings of the Divine, from the atheist humanists, and Buddhists among us who believe in no God, to the pagans and Hindus who believe in many and everything in between. We have traditionally rejected hell as a concept of the afterlife, but affirm its presence in our world in the form of war, injustice, suffering. We are even mixed about the importance of faith itself. Some call for us to use only the test of reason and experience and discount the unknown. Some of us embrace the unknowable. So too is the question about the soul. Do we have a soul? Does every living being have a soul, or is it simply a metaphor, a model for who we are? But amazingly, throughout our history, and indeed, especially in the last couple hundred years, Unitarians and Universalists have been much more willing to consider and debate the nature of the soul than many of these other common questions about faith, such as God, the afterlife, and so on. This willingness to engage in the question of the soul, I think, comes from our fascination of self, the individual person, whose perspective and experience provides a unique insight into the nature of reality. Enlightenment philosophers and many transcendentalist Unitarians consider the self- the ultimate authority on truth, that the individual being has the capacity to see and understand a truth devoid of any outside influences, such as other people, the state, the church. Now, Immanuel Kant, famed 18th century moral philosopher and social scientist, who would heavily influence our faith traditions in the following century, went as far as to split the human experience, and thus the self, into two parts. The world, which we experience and discern, and the soul, which contains all the unknowable mechanics of metaphysics. Kant rejects earlier claims by the likes of folks like Rene Descartes, in saying that simply thinking alone is not sufficient to identify the existence of the soul, or really even of the self as the subjects, those who are thinking, are logically unable to observe themselves as objects, the bearers of thought. But it really wouldn't be until the following century in the rise of transcendentalism among philosophers in New England, that the Unitarians began determining for themselves what the soul consisted of. Now most influential of these was, of course, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Unitarian minister, philosopher, and historic man in letters. Emerson concerned himself with a number of spiritual questions throughout his long lifetime, but his work on the human soul was some of the most important. In a watershed essay from the 1840s entitled The Oversoul, Emerson lays out his concept of the soul and its impact on the self. Now, I have taken the liberty to update the gendered language uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson uses, uh, but not the meaning of this quote. So he writes in part, all goes to show that the soul in a person is not an organ, but animates and exercises all the organs. Is not a function, like the power of memory, of calculation, of comparison, but uses these as hands and feet. Is not a faculty, but a light. Is not the intellect or the will, but the master of the intellect and the will. It is the background of our being, in which they lie an immensity not possessed that cannot be possessed. From within or from behind, a light shines through us upon things and makes us aware that we are nothing, but the light is all. Revelation is the disclosure of the soul. He continues, So I come to live in thoughts and act with energies, thus revering the soul and learning, as the ancients said, that its beauty is immense. People will come to see that the world is the perennial miracle which the soul woketh, and be less astonished at particular wonders. They will learn that there is no profane history, that all history is sacred, that the universe is represented in an atom. In a moment of time, they will weave no longer a spotted life of shreds and patches, but live with a divine unity. They will calmly front the morrow in the negligency of that trust which carries God within it. And so hath already the whole future in the bottom of the heart. We have a whole future in the bottom of our heart. Now Emerson is affirming in no uncertain terms that the universe within us is the universe outside of us, that our soul is that which connects us to the infinite and the way in which we know ourselves and the works of the world to be good or ill. Given we have this connection to the unknowable within us, neither is it Truly unknowable, nor are we truly unknowing. Now, unlike Kant, Emerson affirms the truth of the self through the experience of the soul, and vice versa, and thus encourages us all to privilege our individual voice rather than the teachings of a particular church or institution, and to actively change religious practice and tradition, to better fit our immediate needs and most recent learnings. But more important than the affirmation of the soul itself is the implication of recognizing that we each have a soul. Each of us, in recognizing the divinity within ourselves in the form of our individual souls, is forced to confront the fact that the others around us are also imbued their own. As like with God, there is no soul more divine than any other, and thus we are called to not only recognize our own importance, but the importance of all individual human beings. Now you might say that's all well and good, but how does it affect the way we contemporary Unitarian Universalists understand the soul and even the self itself? Well, the concept of recognizing divinity in oneself and in others is upheld in our very first Unitarian Universalist principle. The one that talks about the respect for the inherent worth and dignity of every person. And remember, sometimes the word dignity in our language, in our UU speak, is really a secular translation of the word divinity. So sometimes it's nice to think about that first first principle as the inherent worth and divinity of every person. Emerson claims there is God inside each of us, and therefore we need to treat ourselves and each other with the appropriate amount of reverence and respect. And even more than in individual relationships with one another, our churches and governments and institutions are charged with this understanding as well. It is one thing for an institution to rule over a bunch of lowly beings, quite another if those people are living manifestations of the divine. Therefore, according to Emerson, all organizations, be them religious, secular, or governmental, must be joined willingly by their members and subject only to the best interest of their members and their members' will. A government which does not recognize the authority of its citizens is not a valid government. Just as a religion which does not lift up the divinity of individuals, it is not a true church. It is up to us, the individuals, to build and maintain our relationships with one another and the institutions which we make up now it's hard for me to think about this responsibility of institutions particularly the church when it comes to accepting all people and affirming all forms of love far too long the western religious traditions have denied and demonized things like homosexuality bisexuality multiple gender identities and essentially every person and relationship that doesn't conform to the limited brand of sexual union promoted by the church. Though there are of course many examples, the religious war on the LGBTQ community is in direct conflict with Emerson's assertion of the divinity within each of us that no individual soul is more or less divine than any other. In my life, this has never been so apparent or immediate as when I've been lucky enough to provide blessings at Pride Fest. So, yesterday, I had the honor of joining the interfaith clergy from all around the area in providing impromptu blessings on demand at Pride Fest Milwaukee. Speaking with and offering blessings to dozens of folks throughout my four hour shift two things struck me about the experience. The first was how hurt many people have been by their faith. Told that they were less than, told they were evil or sinners or both, told that they need change, who they are and whom they love in order to join with God in heaven or simply receive communion on a Sunday morning in church. Folks yesterday responded, as you might imagine, to being told that they are loved, that they are sacred, that their love itself is divine. Tears, hugs, laughter, all in some way relieved and affirmed, some for the first time, for the first time in a long time, by a religious leader. One elderly gay man told me he hadn't spoken to a minister in 50 years. And then he had all but given up on connecting with his spiritual side again. I blessed him. We hugged and we wept. But perhaps the more striking thing about interacting with so many folks at Pride was how truly beautiful everyone was. The freedom afforded the attendees to dress, look, and be who they really are was a reminder of what it looks like when people are not afraid to bear their souls. You see, what I take from the intellectual and spiritual discourse on the soul is that more than anything, and just like all claims of religion, the soul is a metaphor. It is symbolism, modeling, an artistic interpretation of a reality that cannot completely be understood. The soul, for lack of a better term, is who we are as our best selves. In those moments when we are most honest, most affirming, most supportive, most loving. It is a symbol of who we imagine ourselves to be or wish ourselves to be. The parts of ourselves, our experiences, talents and trials that we are most proud of or would most like others to recognize in us. And in yesterday in Milwaukee, and I'm sure this afternoon in Milwaukee as well, the soul was on full display in rainbow-colored glittery makeup, mesh halter tops and T-shirts proclaiming, love is love, is love, is love, is love. And you know what? It was Beautiful. And what is so clear, cool, after looking at all the ways the soul can be interpreted, is that whatever it is, it is a part of us, and we are a part of it. If only that aspirational vision we hold for ourselves, perhaps the representation of the divine within each of us, the hopes and dreams of our innermost selves, these are indeed the makings of the soul. And because we are so we tied to our souls, their reality and our own is one reality. We are the shining beacon of love we imagine ourselves to be in our best moments. We are the super strong beings we sometimes wish we were in our most tedious trials. We are the brilliant, multifaceted, colored gemstones of our dreams. So let us never forget that the beauty we hope to attain we already have deep within ourselves, deep within our soul. Go forth and share your soulful beauty with the world. May it be so. Blessed be and amen.